Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and risen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all, black and white. Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. to Triple R here in the Glass House. My name is Beth AQ. As always, I begin by acknowledging that this show is presented each and every week on the stolen, unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded, treaties have never been signed, and I pay respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to any First Nations people that are listening in this afternoon. It always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'm very excited to be joined by some wonderful guests. Coming up in just under 10 minutes, I'll be joined by award-winning author and poet, Rebecca Jessen, who will join to speak about her new poetry collection, Ask Me About the Future. That one is out through UQP Poetry. And then a little bit later on in the program, I'll be joined by local curator, community organiser and podcast producer, Simelina Raden Winato, uh, and they're joined to speak about a new audio project that they have created. It's called Transomatics, and it's a movement-based practice that's created for trans and gender non-conforming people as a way to connect with their body and to ease gender dysphoria. And it's also just a very relaxing listen, so I highly recommend checking it out wherever you get your podcasts from. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. And now I'm very excited to introduce my first guest today, uh, Rebecca Jessen, who is an award-winning author and poet and joins this afternoon to speak about her collection called Ask Me About the Future. Beck, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here. It is uh, such a joy to talk to you after spending the last week uh, kind of 
you know, immersed in your poems. I'd love to start by, I suppose, talking a little bit about your journey to poetry. I know that previous to this, you um, wrote a verse novel called Gap. Can you tell me a little bit about, I suppose, your journey to poetry and how you think about poetry in relation to your, uh, yeah, your writing practice? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess... I, you know, maybe came a little late to poetry in terms of I wasn't a big reader at, you know, during my high school years. It wasn't until I went to uni in my early 20s that I sort of started really reading poetry and looking at writing it. And basically in my final year of uni is where I wrote what would become Gap, um, and so it's kind of, you know, I, you know that, that book was very much inspired after reading Dorothy Porter. And mm. I guess, I think growing up, I didn't feel like poetry was a medium available to me, I think is the best way to put it. Mm. Um, you know, at school we studied, you know, Robert Frost and those kind of poets and it didn't, we didn't read anything contemporary. It didn't feel accessible to me as a young person who didn't have access to that kind of literature at the time. And so I think reading Dorothy Porter and just kind of seeing, like, wow, you can, like, this is what you can do with poetry. And that that's sort of what started me on, you know, I hate to use the word journey, but on my poetry journey was this fresh contemporary really gritty voice that I felt really spoke to me Mm. and one of the I suppose organizing themes or you know main themes in this book is around a queer utopia about reimagining our lives um, I suppose as a way that we would wish for the present that isn't currently here Um, and yeah definitely to be completely honest it's absolutely the future that I want to be a part of Um, (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about, I suppose, where some of these ideas came from um, for this collection? Yeah, sure. Again, it sort of uh, started at uni. Um, During my honours year, I was looking at poetry and this idea of queer utopias and very much was inspired by um, a queer scholar called Jose Munoz and he wrote this book called Cruising Utopia and it was just this like incredibly radical vision for I guess how to imagine especially for queer people anyone anyone who is marginalized how to imagine a life for ourselves that's away from the present Mm. you know he calls the present a prison house and like in many ways that's that's really relevant right now and and it feels you know, we feel, I guess, not not here. And part of that rhetoric in the book is, you know, imagining the there and then and instead of the here and now. So it was this idea of, you know, putting ourselves somewhere towards towards a future that we could imagine that looked and felt more real and tangible to people who at the moment don't feel like they have access to that. Mm. Um, Rebecca, I'd love if you could um, read us a poem. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I will read, the first one I will read is After Her Dating App Adventures. 
how do you say how you doing without evoking Joey from Friends? I'm only here because I want to find a girl to ask one on Netflix and chill. I filter out the over 40 silver haired broken embrace that was you. Swiping through so many nose rings, the new lesbian signifier. Pictures of you and your Burmese kitten, how original. Tit pics and long haired lesbians. Maybe the L word was realistic after all. Lucy liked you, hit the heart to start a conversation. How do you say to a 20 year old, I prefer older women? I'm looking for a straight up lesbian to raise my puppies with. Are you down to clown, mate? I'm not surprised to find none of these girls is you. You're like a movie usher dude, but more stylish. How do you take a compliment when the last compliment was you are good and tender and kind and I don't want you? How do you say I'm mate for life? text speak is it wrong to click the heart because I think your Burmese is cute a sparky sparks up a conversation didn't you say you wanted to date someone good with their hands I was good with my hands once I'm one of those people who's like arts degrees what's the point laugh out loud and back away quietly. You have someone else to be. How do you say I had two hearts once? How do you say I only came here to forget her? What happens when the girl says, I'm looking for that special someone and some unburied feeling ruptures you? I am not looking for that special someone. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking. That's Rebecca Jessen uh, reading a poem from her new poetry collection, Ask Me About the Future. Um, Beck, I love, you know, in this poem and so many others, you have these kind of cultural touch points of the queer community. You have, mm-hmm. you know, the L word, uh, you know, throughout the book, there's, um, you know, Bowie and, and Whitney and I suppose all of these kind of cultural references that I think have meant so much for the queer community up until this point. I'd, I'd yeah. love to know, um, I suppose, yeah, when constructing this this book, yeah, what what were some of those other kind of cultural touch points that you were thinking about? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I it was, you know, I loved including these cultural touch points especially because I know for me as a reader and not growing up with any access to queer literature like picking up a book and finding I guess it's about you know finding your people through the books that you pick up and finding images of yourself and images of your life so I think that's why it was really important to me that that sort of stuff goes in the book and there is a poem in the book also about you know the bachelorette and sort of a reimagining of what a lesbian bachelorette would be like and so I think I just you know I had a lot of fun with it there's a Bonnie Tyler reference Taylor Swift references 
I guess like I'm quite influenced by music and definitely my my taste in music skews on the on the I guess pop diva side, which some people who've met me find quite quite amusing. Um, yeah, I think and it's sort of it's a nice way to tell the reader to let the reader in to get to know you a little is Mm. to insert those references that you know maybe say more about you than they would otherwise know yeah I have to say that in particular the lesbian bachelorette poem was just amazing and I absolutely want to watch that Um, (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's the one we can read in a little bit Um, yeah yeah for sure but I'd also love to pick up on I suppose what you said about um, growing up and not seeing I suppose you know parts of your you know yourself your queer self represented in in the world around you and I know that you moved from western Sydney to to now Brisbane I'm interested how you feel like that physical change in place um, affected your your writing and and your thinking Mm. That's, yeah, it's, I moved to Brisbane when I was 21 and this was sort of partly for a girl and partly to study and I was going to uh, uni in Brisbane to study writing and before that I had been studying visual art and, you know, up until that point in my life had felt like that was the path that I would maybe take. Um, And so I think even when I moved to Brisbane, I was quite new to writing and, you know, it wasn't something that I'd been immersed in when I was living back at home in Sydney. And so I feel sometimes there's this disconnect between, you know, the version of me that exists at home in Sydney is so incredibly different to this version of me who lives in Brisbane and, you know, who's become a writer and published a couple of books. Um, Yeah. Mm. If you have just joined us, uh, we are chatting with Rebecca Jessen all about her new poetry collection, Ask Me About the Future. Um, Beck, I'd love to talk a little bit about something that I think you address uh, really well um, in this book, which is about the kind of intersection between uh, mental health and queerness and mm-hmm. and just navigating the mental health system as a queer person. <clears throat> you know, you talk about the K10 questionnaire and just the everyday hurdles of what it's like to live life with mental illness. Um, you know, you also speak about the, you know, tragically the young queer people that we've lost during the, the plebiscite. Mm. I'm interested, I suppose, you know, in this intersection and, and what that was like to navigate in your writing. Yeah, um, it was funny. Uh, sometimes I've been asked about this a few times and then I go back and look at the book and realise how ingrained those themes are. And, you know, I think I wrote the book over a period of a few years and maybe didn't realise, like, how like how big a role the, you know, mental health and queerness played in you know, my life and how that came out through the poems. And I think navigating even, you know, even one of those things, queerness or issues with mental health as a young person is incredibly difficult. Um, and then when you put the two together, it's like it's just magnified. I think mm. everyone has kind of different experiences and some people might have access to more support than other people and that that definitely makes a difference and I think 
as a very young person who you know, stayed in the closet, so to speak, throughout high school and wasn't until I was 19 that I came out and I think at the same time realized that I like had quite a few mental health issues that I just hadn't had the language for up until that point. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of my 20s was navigating not so much the queerness, but, you know, how to just how to live every day how to be in the world and you know I think you know I've never I guess had a queer GP or a queer therapist for example and you know I imagine those kind of things would make quite a difference to some young people's lives Mm. just having someone who has a similar perspective to you or has a little bit more insight into the particular challenges that you might face and especially during the website a few years ago that was you know even for me a fairly challenging time to be in the world as a queer person because it was like everyone you know everyone had an opinion on your your worth and you know whether you were valid to society and it was I you know I imagine for young people and young people in high school that would have been even more difficult Mm. yeah absolutely and you know unfortunately I feel like we're still feeling the effects of that of um, having you know people's self and and identity questioned by a whole country Mm -hmm. it's it still blows my mind that it's you know that just happened um Beck, there's this real sense of time in the book, you know, of, of kind of looking back, of, of assessing what is now and then of this yearning for what a future could look like. And, you know, there's also kind of this slippage between time and, and in, in this way that almost feels really relevant to right now. You know, I think mm. obviously you wrote this before 2020 happened, but it, it often, I suppose, kind of, for me, it feels, it feels like it speaks to this um, slippery, honey-like time that we're experiencing now. Um, I'm wondering if you could, I suppose, speak to what it's been like to, you know, before this year to kind of look forward and imagine a future when I think sometimes, you know, we're imagining a queer future, a queer utopia, because there are so many things that are wrong with, um, you know, how you know, queer life now and how, not queer life, but like how people... Um, perceive us Mm -hmm. can you speak to that I suppose about what that process is like personally about like looking forward and and I suppose yearning for for a different present Mm, definitely um and you know obviously very relevant in different ways to what's happening at the moment and I guess um when I first started this book a few years ago I'd have come out of quite a difficult breakup and I moved from where I was living back to Brisbane and so it was sort of like in a sense restarting my life and I didn't have the support networks I needed at that time like I'd sort of let that all fall to the wayside and then had to rebuild in a sense um, and then not long after that did my honours year at uni and was thinking a lot about this idea of a queer utopia and I think a lot of these poems came out of this sense of 
like for me the only way to get through those really difficult times where I didn't feel like I had hope you know there was that sense of helplessness was to I guess just imagine even you know even very small everyday things like imagining a world where you see more lesbian representation on TV, just something like that. Like, all of these small things can kind of add up to making people's lives in the everyday sense more bearable. Mm. And so I really wanted to, in these poems, you know, get that get that across in that the, this, the idea of utopia is sort of, like, it doesn't have to be a, a far-away, far-fetched, concept it is for me very much about the everyday it's about going through each day and feeling okay and feeling okay about there being another day and another day after that Mm. absolutely I feel like this kind of leads us really nicely into the lesbian bachelorette poem because you know this type of thing I think it would just you know have such a huge impact more so than I think people would think for you know queer people just to see that on mainstream TV. Um, yeah. Would you, yeah, would you like to read this poem? I would love to, yeah. This is a very fun one. Okay. The Lesbian Bachelorette. One, meet the very first lesbian bachelorette. Erin is 21 and done with random hookups and the lesbian bar scene. She's looking for an easygoing gal pal to join her Instagram account. Two girls, one van. Her ideal woman is a vegan with a good sense of humor and strong family values. Her deal breakers include confident tall men with dark hair and blue eyes. Erin describes herself as someone who enjoys hiking and doesn't mind getting her hands wet. She's a little bit sporty and a little bit spicy. Two, the purple carpet. The stage is set, the lenses are lubed, the Ikea tea lights are lit, the champagne is on ice, the rose petals are strategically placed, the purple carpet is rolled out, host Ellen DeGeneres is suited up and ready to introduce you all to your sutras, Erin. Three, first impressions. I might have come across as a bit forward when I looked directly at her hands. I feel like my time is running out. I'm 22 and I still haven't met the right girl. I'm in awe. She's a 12 out of 10. Just stunning. I'm not here to make friends. All I've ever wanted is a girl to snuggle up with me, my cat, and an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Not happy. I was hoping for a femme daddy boy switch. And what they've given us is your typical bachelorette, except she's into ladies, not lads. What do I think of Erin? I think she's fanging to be a lesbian. I just want her to know I'm here for the right reasons. Four, enter mansion. Ladies, there's a lot of big dyke energy in this room. The rate of cocktail consumption increases with every girl that walks into the mansion. She's either your ex, your best friend's ex, or your ex's ex. The average lesbian love cycle can begin and end in less than 24 hours. 
So expect some high-stakes drama tonight in anticipation of the first rose ceremony. Five, piece to camera. The straight male producer interviewing behind the camera is wearing a t-shirt with a print, dip me in honey and throw me to the lesbians. How do lesbians actually have sex? They go all in. But which one of you is the man? Sometimes we both wear the harness. What does a lesbian bring to the second single date? Are you whole full of feelings just waiting to be processed? What do you get when you put 16 lesbians in a house together? A lot of energy exchanges, IKEA catalogs, and an almost cyclonic urge to merge. Six, producer commentary. Where is the drama? Where are the catfights, the hookups, the straight male audience want to watch girls having pillow fights in their underwear? They want wet t-shirts and wet panties, not this snooze fest of girls talking about feelings, making endless cups of tea while sharing photos of their cats. This isn't ratings winning drama. This is what straight people do every single day. It's Rebecca Jessen there reading a poem from her new collection, Ask Me About the Future. Rebecca, thank you so much uh, for your time this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Rebecca Jessen is an award-winning author and a poet. Um, We were talking all about her new collection. It's called Ask Me About the Future. It's really good and you should check it out. You are listening to Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. And now joining me on the line, I have curator, community organiser and audio producer Sumalina Radan Winato, who joins me to speak about a new audio project that they've created called Transomatics, uh, which is a movement-based practice created for trans and gender non-conforming people as a way to connect with their bodies and to ease gender dysphoria. Sumalina, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and welcome to Triple R. Hi there, thanks so much for having me. Uh, It is a pleasure. It's been um, really wonderful being able to dive into this uh, really incredible and special audio project. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how the project came about? Um, Well, firstly, thank you so much for saying that. That's very nice. Um, This project came about from uh, another piece of work I was doing with a friend of mine um, about gender nonconformity and how it's presented in the world. Um, and I grew up as a dancer, so I'm trained in ballet and contemporary dance, um, and I was trying to find ways that I could use the practice and the techniques that I developed over the decade and a half that I was um, trained as a dancer to help other people who are trans and gender non-conforming to connect with their bodies on a more, I guess, physical level rather than a gender level. Um, so I developed this practice um I started developing it late last year and ran some trial workshops in January and then developed this um, audio version to kind of deliver something to people in my community, um, especially now while we're all in isolation, or not all of us, but many of us are in isolation and in lockdown um, and feeling really removed from each other. So Mm. 
Yeah. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about um, how those workshops were when you were doing it uh, in person as opposed to, I suppose, um, transforming uh, it into an audio project. Yeah, it was really, really fun. I, like, I just, it was really beautiful because uh, it's not often that we get to be in spaces that are exclude, like, essentially all trans and gender nonconforming people. Um, my co-collaborator is also someone who's trans and all of the people in the workshops are also trans. And so it was just a really special time to be in a space where we all felt really self-safe and resonated with each other and we're doing this um, quite deep and intimate work with our own bodies. Um, so that was, it was really, really lovely. Um, we would just do, um, I would guide people through a practice for 60 minutes and then we would sit and chat about it and how it made us feel. And um, I got some really valuable feedback from those sessions, mm-hmm. which is really, really helpful in developing the audio work. Um, and yeah, we're hopefully going to be doing some more sessions next year when, um, if we're allowed outside again. <laughs> mm. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, uh. I know that I suppose on top of these workshops, you've also been informed by um, some particular thinkers and, and scholars. Can you tell us a little uh. bit about, I suppose, the people that helped inform this practice? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the work is called Transsomatics and somatics is a word that was was um, created by a person called Thomas Hanna um, and it means to experience the body from within and then I also did a lot of research and um, uh, practices around the Alexander Technique and Hello Work um, and also Do In which is um, my personal favorite. These were all different techniques that are developed by people to explore the body and it's um, physiologic, physiologically um, and to understand how we move through our bodies in different ways. Mm. Um, and Do-In in particular is a very old um, traditional way of doing body work to help the internal organs. So there's a lot of um, like gut, gut massages and um, working with the muscles that are the most interior in the body, which is really interesting. Mm. And I really love that this work kind of feels like um, the perfect kind of combination of your past kind of creative practice. I know that, you, as you said, mm. you've, you've been a dancer for many years and I also know that you've um, been a podcast producer, so you, you have kind of a background in audio as well. Can, can you talk to me yeah. a little bit about um, where you see this project sitting in your kind of creative work? Mm, that's a great question. Um, yeah, this for me, especially creating this during um, the COVID-19 lockdowns was such a perfect Venn diagram of all of these different parts of me that I really enjoyed um, using all of these skills from different different aspects of things that I've done in my life and put them together in this work. Um, so, yeah, it, it really came together quite um, conveniently in a way that it was uh, was approach to create this work um, and it was during lockdown and I knew I wanted to bring something um, to the people in my community that could reach them where we are right now um, so yeah it was really nice to be able to bring all of those skills together. Mm. And as you've said you have collaborated with um, some amazing people to create this project um, I know including mm. Fury who's been on this mm-hmm. show before to do the visuals I, I suppose can you speak a little bit about what it's been like collaborating, as you said, you know, in a time where you might not have been able to physically be together? Yeah, it was definitely um, 
a stranger experience. I'm very used to kind of being able to sit with people and um, have, you know, face-to-face conversations. And for me also, talking about new creative works, being able to be in another person's presence and feel and see, like, their reaction to it in their facial expressions and their body expression um, really helps me understand, like, if I'm on the right track or not. So it's very tricky not having having access to, to that. Um, but I was very careful to make sure that um, the help that I was enlisting and the people I was contracting in to do this work were also from the trans and gender nonconforming community. Mm. Um, and I'm very lucky to have a lot of friends who are trans and gender nonconforming. Um, so, yeah, being able to work with people who I have existing relationships with definitely helped a lot in um, making this possible. Mm. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about what it's been like translating something into audio, you know, when it's come from, I suppose, a real practice-based practice, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, And, Mm. you know, as you said, particularly at a time where, you know, you're not able to get that instant feedback when you're doing something with audio, how have you found that experience? And, you know, have you been able to, I suppose, connect with your your audience in a way um, whilst doing it through audio? Yeah, it's definitely very different. It was, um, it's something that I've been grappling with since I started developing transomatics because I wanted to make it a, a, a practice that wouldn't require people to see, to see an example in another body because I want it's, it's a very, it is a very intimate, um, body awareness practice and I think is deeply personal and unique to each person in their body. Um, so when I was developing it, I was, I was constantly trying to find ways that I could use my words to describe the movement without having to do the movement as example. Um, so even in the workshops that I ran earlier this year, I was sitting the whole time so I wouldn't be, um, I, I guess, not so much tainting but, like, creating a bias around what the movement should look like. Um, but, again, it was much easier then because I could see what other people were doing and I was able to you know, shift my wording or, like, you know, elaborate particular things as I could see was needed, um, which obviously doesn't really work in the podcast world. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I wrote and rewrote the script a lot and um, that definitely, that process was very helpful. And, yeah, I've been um, very actively seeking feedback from everybody (laughs) since releasing the work and kind of, I think especially with any creative practice and any creative work, releasing it now without being able to kind of gauge people's reactions the same way um, has really made it made it an even stranger experience. I feel like any creative work, when you put it out in the world, it kind of just feels like you're like, well, you know, here's my heart. Um, you can just have it and I guess <laughs> treat it well, please. Um, and especially now, I think where we're even more separated from each other in that way, it was, it was, it heightened that feeling for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can very much relate to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd love if you can kind of, I suppose, talk through the the series that you have. There's, uh, I think there's four or five episodes. Um, mm-hmm. And can you just, yeah, I suppose, just tell us a little bit about your thinking behind, um, behind each one. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so there are five episodes. Um, the first one is called Skin and is about noticing the outline of our bodies and essentially where our bodies that is our home ends and the rest of the world begins um, and really feeling the whole fullness of the body. 
And the second one is called psoas, which is um, a muscle group that lives um, between our pelvis and our diaphragm. And it's about engaging those muscles and feeling how they connect the entirety of our body and also other central center part of our body. Um, the third is called gut and is about exploring the ways that we hold emotions in our body and physically where they sit um, and releasing some of them and learning about how we can take care of our emotions in our body. Um, the fourth episode is called gravity and is about how we move in the world and how we interact and can work with gravity um, and the pull that we feel from the earth mm. and then there's a bonus episode which is the last one called dance which is um, a bit more free form and is just a fun way to express yourself through body movement mm. if you have just joined us we are chatting with sumalina all about a, a new audio project uh, called transomatics um, i'd love to i suppose talk a little bit about the sonic influences because you know the sound of it is very gentle it's you know your delivery is mm. very um inviting and soft and the music behind it is um it almost yeah it reminds me of like guided meditation I mean it kind of is mm. in a way but I suppose can you tell me a little bit about you know the thinking behind that um yeah the music and and all those kind of elements which you know I suppose are so much more pronounced when you are doing an audio project as opposed mm. to a workshop yeah, definitely. Um, well, so the person who made the music is Tal Katz, who is also the producer slash singer Queen Daddy, um, makes great bops. And uh, essentially the brief I gave them was I want it to sound like the ocean. Um, and they just created this really beautiful ethereal um, tracking back backing track for me, which um, I just love so much. And yes, you're exactly right. It is kind of supposed to be like guided meditation. Um, and I also was very careful to create something where I was, my aim with it was that it, I wanted it to start as something that would really draw you in and also just slow down the body and the mind before the practice started. I really took my time in explaining what the project was in each episode and of course, most importantly, having a comprehensive acknowledgement of country of where I work and live. Um, and I really wanted to use all of these elements to create a pause in the world for when people listen to the tracking, to the, to the practice. Mm. Yeah, I loved that. And I think it's so important because it mm. really grounds, I, I found like it just really grounded me in the physical place that I was in and the physical place that every mm. listener is, I suppose, coming to the project from. Um, yeah, thank you. I love that, you know, this is, you know, it started as a workshop series. It's now become an audio series. I suppose what, you know, what are your plans for the future? I know you said that, that you, you're hopefully going to continue the workshops, you know, at a time when we're able to do that. Is that, that's, mm. that's what's planned? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the next kind of step, um, hopefully. Um, yeah, we want to, we want to do a series next year, um, which will follow kind of a similar um, I guess process um, progression as the as the audio series in an ideal world I'd really love to do it as a essentially a course that um, people come to the class every month and it they build on each other um, and yeah I'm hoping that this um, audio series will be a really good introduction to what transmatics is and what the thinking behind it is and then we can kind of um, delve deeper into it into the practice over over some workshops in the first half of next year hopefully <laughs> yeah fingers crossed um you know mm. something else that I'd just love to touch on before I let you go is you know 
I suppose you talk about this as a as a way to um, connect with um, with 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 body and um, to ease gender dysphoria for you know people that are trans yeah. and and gender nonconforming. Have you had um, I suppose much feedback or a sense of how people have have found this experience um, in terms of that? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think yeah. I mean, I say in the um, in the intro that you know dysphoria is a really really common experience to everybody who lives in um, the trans and gender non-conforming community. And I think, you know, some of our biggest barriers are that lots of us come from a cultural background where um, negotiating transness is, um, is difficult and complicated and also doing gender-affirming um, physical alterations is really expensive and um, not necessarily accessible to everybody. Mm. And so I was trying to create another tool, an alternative that people could use um, to help them negotiate what it means to live in a trans body if they don't have access to those things or are in the process of getting access to those things. Um, And even afterwards, I know many trans people who have had gender-affirming surgery or been taking hormones and still feel dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a key issue to that is that we kind of lack that connection to ourselves and these bodies that we're in. Because even if we could alter our bodies um, to and shapeshift into the, into the ideal person that represents our most inner gender identity, that doesn't mean that it erases all of the history we have with the body that we're in now or were in before. Um, and I think making peace with that is part of alleviating gender dysphoria. Mm. Um, and I've had some really beautiful feedback from people especially with starting out on their journey, um, negotiating what it means to be trans and gender nonconforming, what it means to have a gender. Um, and I would hope that for everybody in the trans community who listens to this work, it can provide a space where you can think of your body outside of those social constructs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really incredible um, project that you've created. I I would urge anybody that is Thank listening you. to um, to check it out. You can head over to transomatics.com. Um, so, Melina, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you, Beth. Uh, if you have just tuned in, we were just chatting there with curator, community organiser and podcast producer Sumalina Radan Winato, uh, who's created this really incredible audio project called Transomatics. Uh, it is a free uh, audio guided movement practice for trans people to connect to themselves, their bodies and community. You can check it out at transomatics.com. You are listening to Triple R. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website, 